I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Talking OTC Commodities, brought to you by the EEX Group. Hi, everyone. And thanks so much for tuning in to Talking OTC Commodities. I'm Michael Mervyn-Jones. And I'm Richard Heath. And we're both really happy to be back with you for a brand new episode. It's been a while, eh, Rich? It has. Uh, seems like a very long time. But um, as you say, great to be back. Indeed. Indeed. Now, for those of you who are followers of Talking OTC, today's topic will be a familiar one, as we're going to focus on the ongoing transition to greener shipping and specifically discuss how ready is the shipping industry when it comes to EU ETS readiness? It's not that far away now, right, Rich? It's not. And it's um, it's been just a little bit shy of a year since the original proposal um, came out about this in July last year. And if we um, look at the timeline with no interruptions, we're a little bit less than a year away from implementation. So it would be fair to say uh, we're about halfway at the moment. Wow. Okay. Um, now, joining us today, I'm happy to say we have some guests. It's not just uh, Richard and I prattling on. Um, so, Rich, perhaps you'd like to introduce our guests today. That's right. I'm really happy to have uh, the guys from Zeeborn Ship Management with us today. So, we have uh, Stefan Schindler. Hi. Thanks for having me here. Hi, Stefan. Uh, Tia Jurgens. Hi, Rich. Hi. And uh, Patrick Schwinker. Good afternoon. Hi from Hamburg. Hi, Patrick. Hi, guys, and thanks very much for uh, for joining us today. So as you said, Rich, we're at the halfway point now. And in many respects, I get the sense that we're running out of time. We'll obviously discuss that in a moment. But, but before we do, can you take us back to 10 months ago and give us a recap of the EU ETS proposal for Maritime? Absolutely, I can. So for anyone who is uh, unfamiliar or less familiar with this subject, the inclusion of maritime within the European Emissions Trading Scheme is part of a broader proposal from the EU, which has been called the FIT for 55 package. And that's a, a broad ranging package of environmental regulation. And to go down a, another level, anyone who is not familiar with the Emission Trading Scheme in itself, this is what's known as a cap and trade scheme. So the total amount of emissions within the whole system are capped. And that cap is reduced every single year. Organisations that are covered within the scheme have to buy allowances to reflect the amount of carbon that they are emitting. And this effectively creates a cost for carbon for those organisations. And it's that cost that incentivises decarbonisation of their operations over time. And certainly the history from the EU running the scheme is that it does have an impact. So between 2005 and 2019, the installations under the scheme have reduced their emissions by approximately 35%. Uh, 
Today, that scheme covers greenhouse gas emissions within the EU from uh, the power sector, energy intensive industries, and also aviation. And including maritime into this system, what that basically means is that every year, the owners and operators of ships will need to buy emission allowances to cover a percentage of the carbon that their vessels emit. That percentage will be linked to the emissions which are declared under the MRV scheme. And the scope is basically this. The emissions to be included within the sector will be all emissions from intra-EU voyages, all emissions um, that ships uh, put out while they're at berth in an EU port, and 50% of emissions from voyages to or from an EU port. And the obligation to buy allowances uh, is planned to be phased in over time. So the original proposal was for 20% of emissions in 2023, um, and that would then increase to 45% in 24, 70 in 2025, and 100% from 2026 onwards. So that's a recap of, of the actual scheme. Um, you know, where are we in the process of agreeing and implementing this? Well, as I said, the original proposal was made in July 2021. The process is then that we wait for an official position on that proposal, both from the European Parliament and the European Council. That's expected around the middle of this year. Um, and in fact, we've already seen a draft position from the European Parliament. Those positions are followed by uh, negotiation between all the parties to decide the final legislation with formal agreement and implementation following that. So there's a, a fairly complicated political process. So the timeline, it feels tight for implementation in 2023. Many people expect that there's going to be some kind of delay, um, but we don't have any confirmation of that where we stand today. So we continue to work towards implementation in 2023 until we know um, that there could be any changes to that timeline. I read something recently, which which actually really shocked me, that currently 99% of the shipping industry is not ready or, or doesn't even have a plan to get ready for inclusion into the EU ETS. That's a, a frightening figure, right? Um, so I guess the first question we need to answer here is why? Why aren't we ready? So maybe maybe I should uh, I should just start, uh, Michael. Um, yeah, there are several reasons, but I guess the first reason is a is a lack of transparency of political processes and the timeline of the implementations, as uh, Richard already said, because transparency is urgently needed because we are all awaiting the EU officially ringing the bell for the start. So hopefully in June, and around the IMOs MEPC 78. So it's not really about being a front runner or a first mover on this thing. For us at Zebon, it's more being a, a kind of a caretaker and showing a degree of proactiveness towards our client and the industry as such. Since it is clear that the ETS proposal is coming into force, but as we just said, the timeline is a bit uncertain for the moment. So all we are doing now is to get into a dialogue with our customers, collecting feedback and open questions. And there are, there are a few. I mean, even none of us in this round might have all the answers to it, and it would be good to have some more insight into the, into the political process. Because we, we, did not, uh, any, we, we, didn't, we did not do any lobbying 
or public affairs work over the past months? Because, you know, as ship managers with a broad customer base from, from small to medium, it's part of our daily business or DNA to meet all the individual requirements and thought on the different uh, rule sets available. So, but nevertheless, we've been in touch with some EU politicians and of course the German Ship Owner Association over the last months for information sourcing. But we are of course more than happy that you at ENX has, uh, have a team on site or let's keep it maritime uh, on board at Brussels and that you will intensify the drive for transparency within the maritime industry over the next months. So for that, for us, it was definitely worth knocking, knocking, knocking at your door at Leipzig headquarters in October last year. Yeah, and I think I think that's a it's a really fair question, Patrick, isn't it? When when we talk to people and say, why are you not ready? And one response to that can be, well, tell me when I need to be ready. Um, you know, and that, as you say, is is a completely open question in the political process. And you know, it's very fair for for people to ask that. Absolutely, Richard. Um, what what you're saying there is absolutely right, and uh, I have to agree with Patrick also as well that the trans transparency is a little bit up in the air, sort of. But um, like Patrick said, we, we've talked with a couple of clients in the market and sort of what's happening on the legislation side also resonates with what we hear from the ship owners. Um, and I believe they're basically, well, the three big questions owners are dealing with at the moment. And uh, for us, you know, uh, we are a third party ship manager, which means that we manage ships for a very different uh, group of people. And that can be a blessing and a curse, a blessing because, uh, or a curse because a lot of people have very different opinions and you have to do right by them. And a blessing, um, well, here with ETS, it's it's rather fortunate because we can speak to these various ship owners and get a little bit of what their sentiments are on this. And there are three main points I think that we have sort of identified from them. And the biggest question is obviously who's to pay, right? Uh, outside of when does it start, but who's to pay? Um, but I think before one can answer the question of who's to pay is one should ask themselves who's responsible because uh, you might be surprised that it's it's a question that we get all the time from from uh, people that we talk to and parties that we talk to and there are very different opinions about it you know some say it should be the ship owners some say it should be the operators some have even other opinions um frankly um for us from from Zebon's side as a ship manager we're sort of part in the, uh, inside the pool as well um we believe that you know, at the end of the day, it will have to be the ship owner who's res the responsible party. The The reason for that is pretty simple. Um, if you want to enforce uh, ETS properly, um, you have to go back on, on what the legal situation is. And that is that in shipping, we have something called maritime lien. And that basically means that any party or creditor rather um, who hasn't been paid uh, appropriately can file for sort of an, an arrest application of that ship, you know, in layman terms. And then that ship is arrested in a port and then you can claim compensation over it. So the only person you can arrest is the party who holds the title over that ship and that is the ship owner, obviously. So um, from our point of view, um, although for, for many of our clients it's an unfortunate answer, it can only be the ship owner who's responsible, you see. So. Um, and if that question is clear, then also the answer is rather obvious of, of who will have to pick up the bill. 
um, it will have to be the ship owner. Now, I'm not saying that they have to pay and sit on it, but you know, it certainly has to be passed on to the operator and then the shipper and the cargo owner and so on until ultimately it reaches all of us as the end consumers and uh, inflation rates will go up even further, unfortunate in this time. But this is the, the way it's going to go. But at the beginning of the process, it will be the ship owner um, who will have to um, pick up the bill. And that can be a, a bit of a, a, a hurdle for, for many clients. Because if imagine you are a small uh, family-run ship owner with two, three ships and 10, 12 people in the office, and then all of a sudden you have to deal with trading carbon credits. Uh, I think that's that's quite the challenge. So um, we had a uh, we had several different discussions with a, a number of different clients recently, and um, the good news is that you know very often ship owners they rent out their ships to operators, you know, for a certain period of time. Uh, they charter them out, as we say, and we learn from some of those operators, the bigger operators, that in fact they are planning on picking up that carbon credit bill directly, right from inception. So they will not ask the owner to pay for it, they will do it themselves. The reason is rather simple uh, and logical too, if you think about it. Um, for them, it's too much of a financial risk. If an owner buys an allowance that's at that time when he buys it, very, very expensive perhaps, and if the operator then has to pass on the bill, you know, they find themselves in a disadvantage, uh, disadvantageous position towards the rest of the market. So I think for those ships which are on a long-term rental agreement, charter agreement, uh, ship owners might find themselves in a fortunate position that uh, the operators pick up the bills directly. But again, that only works to a certain degree. We have a lot of uh, trading and shipping where you only have a period, a period charter agreement or where you do all your planning yourselves. And then what do you do? Um, so this, you know, of who's picking up the bill, uh, it'll have to be the owner, but that the operator picks it up for you, it'll be only a small portion of the market. So the next question then is, uh, you know, and that's for any owner really, how do you control your data? And I think that's the big, next big third question that we have to ask ourselves and get our homework done is get the right emission data from your ships. And um, the question is, how is that supposed to happen? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. Yeah, Because even if you have sorted out on the theoretical part, all who is responsible and um, how is it handled in the future, um, getting the data, the emission data, the consumption data is quite a challenge because it is a mainly a manual um, process in, in most cases, both um, on board um, um, to figure out how much fuel actually was bunkered and how much fuel was consumed on a daily basis. This one is as I mentioned, is a is a manual process, also a manual reporting process. Yeah? So there is a possibility of of mistakes and um, um, how things are organized um, uh, on board or between owners, charters, um, managers. Yeah, there is often. Um, more than one reporting scheme for the crews um, to fill out. So they will enter same data in, in multiple reports, yeah, which is also not helping um, in accuracy, yeah, especially when it comes to question what is the right, right data um, if, if you have um, um, issues. So we have 
the manual reporting, yeah, what we can figure out um, from our experience, you, you can see the human factor. A, a, a chief engineer changes, yeah, um, uh, the reporting is changing. To, to figure this out, yeah, you need, you need tools. Very often nowadays, um, still Excel files are used on a, on a vessel by vessel basis. So it needs somebody to, to go through, to check for mistakes, to challenge them, uh, to, to do a, um, a, a reporting and a, a correction of it um, 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 to continue. This was in many cases fine till today. But when we see what we have talked before, that we have um, many different parties who might have to take up the bill, um, then reporting and accurate reporting and timely reporting in a in a in a in a in a proper manner is is mandatory um, um one of my examples is yeah if the one um, who's paying for the fuel yeah has in the end to pay for the certificates i would say yeah and um if you have the the vessel chartered out yeah and in the end the charter is taking up the bill it's fine yeah but then you have a situation that you have an off hire so then who is to, to pay for it most likely the owner yeah, who has to pick it up. But then you need to know exactly from which point, what was the consumption data, how much was consumed, when does it start again? Yeah? So we have such a reporting in place, but it is not very accurate. It was okay until now, but when we are talking about a lot of money, yeah, which is um, 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 uh, to be paid here, then it becomes relevant. And then there will be arguments and then it needs to be it needs to be figured out and then you need proper reporting yeah and then it's becoming vital to get it in a in a in a in a better in a better way and i think many are not ready here many um are not able to determine basically on a daily basis where are they and how accurate is it and for this one i think you need the right tools yeah the right software uh, who who helps you to collect and to to verify data and you need people um who, who are doing this and um not to add it as an additional task for the superintendent to do this um as an example but that you have really people who are looking into this and dealing um with this on a on a day-to-day -day basis um yeah i think you know stefan uh, if if you don't mind me uh, just mm -hmm. cutting in there yeah. uh, i don't know if you're aware we a couple of days ago we had a uh, call with uh, with a shipping company ship owner company mm -hmm. and exactly that topic about reporting and data collection mm -hmm. came up and um uh, the the company said the guy on the other line said and he opened he, he posted that question i thought when i first heard it i thought it was a bit you know edgy that question but then i figured well, there's actually, if you think about it, it's a fair question. He said that, you know, if I install flow meters and if I install all these fancy systems and if I have all of this and I, I spend the money on it and then I have all this accurate data, will I be in a disadvantageous position commercially over someone who has a um, very creative chief engineer? You know, and uh, I th at first I was a bit irritated by that question, but then I thought about it and I was like, mm, well, you have a good point there because if you don't have, that comes to the next question of enforcement then really, you know, how is it being enforced? How is the data being checked? Because if you don't have proper enforcement on it, well, then, you may, you know, if, if, if all of this is manual work, it leaves a lot of room for error and then you have... Uh, very very big competition over over these things i mean these are these are really key questions aren't they and the, i mean the deeper we get into it the more complexity and questions we see but 
One of the things that that strikes me as someone you know who's not in the industry every day, and and something which I would imagine would uh, be a surprise to many people is that the MRV data we have today may not in all cases be 100% accurate. And I think a lot of people on the outside would just assume that that accuracy is already there. And, you know, Stefan, as as you said, in the past, this has been maybe slightly less critical. But when you start to anchor the amount of allowances that you're going to have to buy to that data, um, it has a financial implication. And And then you're absolutely right. Then questions around, well, if I'm doing something differently from my competitors and you know as we know the the market is um you know there's a huge number of owners and operators in the market if i'm doing something different from my competitors then you know am i being disadvantaged by perhaps being more accurate or uh, you know slightly better than my competitors so huge amounts of complexity in there you know richard i think that also fits perfectly to the timeline again you know what's what stefan described that with having systems in place you don't just you know it doesn't happen overnight you have to prepare them you have to install them on board you have to find the right people to work on it in the office you have to understand the data you have to make it available for other parties there's a lot of work to be done in the forefront and you know we we talk to different people from different areas on the globe um, who all sort of to a degree trade to and from Europe and um, you know it doesn't matter if you speak to a customer in, in Europe or in Asia um, you can't say that one region is more or less prepared than the other it just really depends on the shipping company itself some shipping companies really have sort of at least an idea on what's coming but many are just waiting and see and and you know maybe i don't know if they hope for this to i don't think it'll go away but maybe they hope for this to be extended so i'm i'm curious to uh you know richard you may be more familiar with this but carbon trading has been there in other industries too um how did that uh how did that how was that implemented there was it um, postponed or so probably the the best example that i can think of is the extension of the ets to aviation so um this was legislation which was actually adopted back in 2008 and then aviation was included in the emissions trading scheme in 2012 and so the original legislation covered all airlines operating in Europe, whether they were European airlines or not. Um, all airlines were required to monitor, report and verify their emissions and then surrender allowances against those emissions. And the original legislation adopted in 2008 was designed to cover emissions from, to and within the European economic area. So, I mean, this all sounds really familiar right this is exactly what we're talking about with with shipping Absolutely. now when it was implemented the actual scope was uh, changed slightly so the scope of um flights that were the, were within um the ets was changed to be eea only flights um and that was originally put in place until 2016 and the reason for that was that the international civil aviation organization was trying to develop their own global measure to decarbonize aviation which again you know when we think about what's happening in the imo um, has similar overtones to what we see in the shipping market so based on the development and the implementation of uh, of that which has um, come to be called the uh, 
Carbon Offsetting and Reduction Scheme for International Aviation, or Corsia, as many people would, would probably know it. The EU decided to maintain that intra-EEA geographical scope until at least 2024. Um, and one other key difference between aviation and maritime as well was that within aviation, um, organisations were able to apply for free allowances. So they would have a percentage of the allowances that they had to you know, effectively buy um, provided for free um, from the scheme. And that obviously reduces the financial burden on the industry. So um, that's not something that's an offer for maritime and in, even in aviation, with the current extension, um, that's due to be removed after 2027. So we do have a somewhat comparable example. Um, the big difference for me is probably the time and the urgency. So the world was quite a different place in 2008 when this was originally adopted. And the urgency now around legislation for um, protecting the planet, um, mitigating climate change and reducing carbon emissions has so much more urgency in it than it did at that time. So I'm not sure that we should bank on any of these things happening for maritime. No, I think you're right. I mean, I don't think you, I don't think you can bank, but but I, I do take the point that if there are a lot of unknowns, it's understandable why people are hoping that maybe this might be delayed in some way. But but coming back to what what you guys have said, you know, just in that last 15 minutes, you can see what the issues are in relation to the EU ETS. You know, you mentioned the MRV data, the question of cost, the transparency of the political process. These are all fundamental reasons of, or, or issues of why people are not ready. But how can we resolve these issues? You know, what can we do, you know, as a collective, as people who are in this industry, who who care for this industry, how can we help and support the industry, the wider industry, should I say, to get ready? Well, I think some of the, we have to be honest and say that some of these issues are completely out of our control. So there is only so much that can be done to influence the political process and the timeline from that and the transparency of that timeline. So that that's something that we just probably all have to live with um, and we stay on top of as much as we can. But there are other areas where we can help. And I think one of the key ones, and maybe it comes across from, from what we've been talking about the last 10 minutes or so, is information, you know, trying to understand what is necessary to um, set this process up so that people can actually comply with the regulation. Yeah, education, you know, is um, the beginning of everything. You have to educate yourself. And I think um, the takeaway is that don't wait until the legislation has been passed and if it's 100% it's clear of what's supposed to happen when and how, but get your ducks in a row already now. I mean, Stefan has explained this with MRV data to a degree, that if if you realize the amount of manual work that you have to invest in this, and you don't have the manpower for it, gear yourself up, inform yourself, ready yourself, uh, perhaps look at systems so that at least at the bare minimum, when this comes into force, you are able to collect your data in one way or another. And then how the payment process is and who's picking up the bill, that then comes later and will be clarified, but at least you have your basic covered and your, your homework done. So educate yourself on the topic 
and then really dive into the topic of MRV data and data collection. That would be my recommendation for everybody to get the ball rolling at least. Yes, and I think for me, the data collection and having the data um, in, in the right way is, is an important issue because of the implications if you do wrong reporting. yeah, And if somebody is not creative enough, as the one customer um, um, mentioned, um, um, there is wrong reporting. The fines are huge, which you have to pay um, for this one, and it can end in a ban for the for the vessels um, to trade to Europe. And it's not only the vessel um, 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 which has the wrong reporting, but the vessel of the DOC holder or the even the ISM company. Yeah? So this would mean for us as a ship manager, not doing this um, in a in a correct way, doing it doing it wrong uh, would would mean that basically if things go the worst way, yeah, none of the vessels we are managing can operate um, in Europe anymore, and that would be a disaster. And having having such things in mind, we need to be prepared, yeah, in all the necessary and possible ways to um, to be able to do this in a proper way. Can I ask a question very quickly? Do you think that the industry are aware of what the penalties are? Not not yet, really. I think this is what is about to start um, to 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 get down yeah and um, there are some who know but um, with um, um, people I, I had been talking in 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 the past um, 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 two months about this topic three months there were surprises how, how serious it is yeah and um, if I have understood it right uh, the fines are um, and please correct me if this is wrong yeah but you pay for your um, for your allowances and then you pay basically the same amount as a fine yeah and if you see that um, uh, depending on, on 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 vessel types if you if you if you do the mass yeah then you have five six seven thousand euros per day on co2 allowance to pay and then you double the bill i think people are not aware of the fines uh, not not at all the, when when we talk to people you know one of the first questions is first question is who has to pay the bill and then the next question is well if that's the case then what's the uh, how's the enforcement and how's the penalization <laughs> So you can sort of see the thought process there, and that has to be communicated much, much better by the parties who are developing this, I think. Yeah, but from what you just said, you know, um, it boils from what I can see in my limited knowledge of this subject, it boils down to two things, right? Access to readily available, credible data, number one, and obviously a new a numerical indication of the potential costs for doing this, but also an idea of the potential penalties for non-compliance. And I guess what we need to do is maybe use some shock tactics here to maybe get people to understand what what the costs are, right? But but what else can we do apart from information and cost? Well, I think activities like like this one, you know, reaching out to the industry, summarizing what we know, providing information, trying to share experience. And asking some of these key questions, you know, and also saying to people that even though there aren't necessarily the answers to all of these questions, and we began right at the beginning saying, you know, maybe even between the people here, we don't have the answer to these, and we, and we certainly don't. Even though there's not answers to everything, there are still things that you need to do now. And kind of delaying and waiting for everything to be done might get you to the point where actually you're not ready in time and we've we've got a long list right as we've been through the call we've got a huge you know 
who who's responsible for acquiring the certificate and we've got this very complicated structure in the shipping market where you have the kind of eventual beneficial owner of the ship but actually they might not have anything to do with the current operation of the ship and that could be two or three counterparties down the chain you know how do you how do you work this through all of those contracts and that's assuming that you even know the emissions of your vessel which is another huge point right and so we have this kind of long tick list of of how do you do this you have to measure you have to have the right people you have to have the right tools you have to have the right systems um you have to have the right legal agreements with your customers and with your suppliers you know and that's before you even get to the point where you start thinking about ah but in some cases this is a financial instrument and maybe i need to know how to trade financial instruments and maybe i need more people or maybe i need to outsource that somehow and what sort of account setup do i need and how do I account for these? You know, so that there's a huge number of questions. So I think, you know, sharing that information, making sure that um, there is awareness and, you know, just making sure that this topic is continuously talked about, because this is not something where you can kind of put your head in the sand and saying, oh, maybe this will go away. Maybe the IMO will come up with some kind of master stroke and, and all this will just boil down to some neat addition to my fuel cost where I don't really have to change any of my current operations. Um, I think having the conversation is is really key. And I think also, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back here now. I mean, I think this is probably our third podcast on this topic. Um, we've done two webinars and I know um, in, in those webinars that we had a, you know, an offer to basically talk to people one to one about how to get ready, because this is one of the things that I've seen with this topic. There's a hell of a lot of talk, but actually practical solutions. There doesn't seem to be that many. Um, Rich, how was it, you know, when you were doing your one to ones? Did did people get it? Did people, you know, when you were when you were doing those one to ones, did people go, ah, right now I see what needs to be done? I think there was there was a real kind of cross section. Right. So for a lot of people, as you talk about this, one of the first things that I've seen from our experience is you can kind of hear on the other end of the phone that there's a calculator going, right? And then there's this like, this is expensive, isn't it? And we talked a little bit about the penalties and just what the kind of daily cost for this is. So um, that that was one of the key realizations. And for some people, I think that was definitely a catalyst to, okay, well, we need to take this seriously and do something about it. Um, but you still need to know where to start. And I think, as we've heard, the, the process spans every area of the business. You know, it's physically what's on your ship. It's the people that you have. It's, you know, your legal agreements and the financial markets as well. So no kind of one person can provide you all the answers. I have spoken to some people who possibly are ready, you know, or at least know exactly what they need to do to get ready. But, you know, in all honesty, that's such a small percentage of the people that we've talked to. But t taking the, you know, the the topic of information, you know, maybe it's the whole if Muhammad won't come to the mountain, the mountain comes to Muhammad or whatever that phrase is. I mean, it's all very well us doing podcasts and webinars. And, and thankfully, we have a big audience that, that we can share our thoughts with. What about physical events? You know, are there, have you got any plans? I know that you guys, for example, are, are doing something um, in Athens quite soon, right? Yeah, actually, yes. Yeah, we are happy to be back uh, into physical meetings, into face-to-face -face, uh, discussions with our clients. So, yeah, so maybe it's 
also for for your valued uh, listeners, uh, if we catch your interest uh, from from a ship management perspective, yeah, we are we are actually hosting an exclusive event at the pre-Posidonia week weekend. So the Posidonia is one of the largest maritime trade fairs trade fairs in the industry. So and we are doing this together with uh, with you guys from EAX on the third of June in Athens. So. If you are interested in joining us and discuss uh, discuss the topic with some major local and some other international big ship owners, yeah, feel free to reach out to us via mail or via LinkedIn. That's fantastic. And Patrick, what we'll do um, with that is um, thank you for that offer for the for the viewers. We'll make sure to put all the details of that event um, and your contact details, etc. In, in the episode notes that accompany this podcast, because everybody can get that then and they can move forward with that. But I think that's great. You know, obviously we've we've had the whole situation with COVID and, you know, Teams meetings for two years. I think now with an actual physical event in something as high profile as Posidonia, you know, just before it, hopefully the message is going to stick there. You know, it's, it's your best shot, I think, really. Um, and Rich, we're also doing something in London, right? We are absolutely. And I was just going to say, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that event in Athens. I think that's going to be great. The the novelty of doing face to face events uh, post COVID has yet to wear off. Um, it's definitely great to to see people um, in person. Um, and yeah, absolutely, Michael. We're we're doing the same thing at EEX. So we're going to have our own dedicated sustainability event in London. That will be in September this year and we'll cover a whole range of topics but of course this will be uh, very very high amongst them and if the timeline holds by that time we're just a few months away from implementation mm. you know? and if we think that that the timeline is quite scary now um, imagine uh, how we're going to feel by then i really enjoyed that yeah i did too uh, and i thought the guys at zebor made some really excellent points Completely agree. For me, it was great to hear um, their opinion when it came to that $6 million question of who should pay the costs, right? Absolutely. And um, I think that's going to remain uh, an open question for uh, for some time. Indeed. Um, I thought also that um, Stefan made some really valid points when it came to the MRV data. Uh, for sure. And the, and the accuracy of that. Absolutely. If you have any questions relating to today's podcast, or if you would like help when it comes to getting yourself ready uh, for the Fit for 55 package, um, or just want any more information in general on this topic, then please feel free to send me an email at richard.heath at eex.com. And if you'd like to get in contact with any of the team at Zeeborn Ship Management, then please refer to the episode notes that accompany this podcast. That's it then, I guess. All that's left to say is uh, thank you very much for listening. And see you next time.